Hello and welcome to Dark Sky Pod. I'm David and I'm here at the Scottish Dark Sky Observatory. In this issue, we'll have a look at what's up in the night sky this month and we'll also talk to Dr James Sylvester about Scandinavian astronomy. So we'll start off by taking a look at what's up in the night sky this month. Uh, We're now fully into the autumn season, heading towards winter. Uh, So we're starting to get much, much darker skies at this time of year. And those darker skies are arriving much earlier on in the evening. So it's a very good time of year to head outside for some stargazing and some astronomy. These wintertime conditions, as we're heading towards now, really help you get a great deal more out of looking and observing at the night sky. Uh, British summertime does end this month in October. So the clocks are going to revert back to Greenwich Mean Time. That's on the 30th of October. At that point, the sun's going to be setting not long after half past four in the afternoon, and it's going to be getting properly dark uh, around about 7pm, so you don't have to stay out quite so late to get some dark skies and see the stars. Now, the full moon arrives on the 16th of October. Usually it's best to try and avoid the full moon, as you'll get much darker skies when you haven't got that very bright full moon up in the sky. So the best time to see dark skies, if you can get out to a nice dark location, will be in the first week or the last week of the month of October. Now the moon's also going to interfere this month with uh, the Orionid meteor shower that's active uh, around about the third week of October. The peak's around about the 21st, 22nd of October. Uh, The radiant for that meteor shower is quite low down in the eastern horizon, so you might have to stay up quite late after 11pm towards midnight to view this meteor shower and you're going to have to work around that interference that the moon might create. The Orionid meteor shower, produced by quite a famous comet, Halley's Comet, it's usually the comet that most people have heard of. It's produced by dust particles from Halley's Comet moving very quickly from space down through the Earth's atmosphere. The Orionid meteor shower, not always the most well-known meteor shower, usually people think of the Perseids or the Leonids, but it's well worth heading outside trying to spot some shooting stars in the sky, as they can occasionally be quite active. For about the first 10 days or so of October, you should be able to see the International Space Station once again making visible passes in the evening skies. It's quite an easy object to try and observe, it's a fairly bright point of light moving across the southern sky. You'll see it higher in the sky if you're further south into England. In Scotland we see it pass across that southern horizon. Passes are usually appearing from the west, crossing that southern sky towards the east. If you want much more detailed times of when and where to look, there's a very very good website called NASA Spot the Station. Find out your nearest location on that website and it will give you a handy list of when and where to look for it. The planets have been quite easily observable for the earlier part of the year. We had Jupiter after the New Year spell. We've had the planets Mars and Saturn visible in the southern uh, horizon for quite a a few months now. They're just about hanging on, very, very low down. The planet Mars, you can see it very low down in the southwest just after sunset. Saturn's really, really approaching a very unobservable position now, but it's well worth seeking out uh, a view of those planets very, very low on on the horizon. Obviously with planets, if you have got a telescope at home, you can try and make out a small visible disk of those two planets as well. Later on in the year, you'll hopefully be able to see in that same sort of direction the planet Venus, but we're going to have to wait until December really for good views of that. For telescope observers though, the planets Uranus and Neptune are really well placed this month. Um, You're going to need a fairly large telescope, perhaps you might need one of those go-to systems to help you find it, as they're very faint, very distant, you can't just look up in the night sky and see them. With quite a large telescope, you can see a bit of shape to these two planets, 
very small pale objects they are in, in a telescope. Otherwise, as I say, they are far too faint and too distant for us to see and just look up with the naked eye to view them. Now, if you stay up uh, past midnight for those very early morning skies at the moment, you'll notice that the changing of the seasons is very obvious. We're starting to see these famous summer constellations like Aquila and Lyra and Cygnus that are over the top of our head for most of the night at the moment. They're gradually heading towards the west earlier and earlier each night. So those summer constellations are going to be disappearing as the month goes on. However, in the eastern sky, we've got those very distinctive winter constellations starting to appear. So it really is a key sign that we're starting to head towards winter now, and you should start to be able to see things like Orion and Taurus and Gemini much more prominently as the months go on. Recently at the SDSO, we had a visiting guest speaker, Dr James Sylvester, who is visiting from Sweden, where he's a research astronomer at Uppsala University. He spoke to me about the topic of his talk at the observatory, which was Scandinavian astronomy. Okay, so you were at the observatory this weekend giving a talk about Scandinavian astronomy, mm -hmm. uh, and you work in Scandinavia. Correct, yeah, so I work at uh, Uppsala University in Sweden. Uh, Uppsala University is the uh, oldest university in Scandinavia, and it's uh, located about 40 minutes north of Stockholm. So it's very close to Stockholm, actually, in that part of Sweden. So there's quite a bit of astronomy going on in Sweden now. And your talk covered quite a bit of the history of astronomy as well in that area. Yeah. So um, there is quite a lot of active astronomy currently um, in, in Sweden. Most of the main Swedish universities have an astronomy group and they have uh, research facilities in the Canary Islands, so the telescope in the Canary Islands, the NOT, which is the Nordic Optical Telescope. Um, Sweden is part of ESO, so they have access to all the, all the ESO facilities in, in, in Chile. And uh, also there's the Onsula um, Radio Observatory, which is near Gothenburg, and that specialises in radio astronomy. And there are quite a few famous names from Sweden and Scandinavia that lots of people might recognise, like uh, Tycho Brahe and Angström. Yeah, so um, Tycho Brahe from Denmark is, is quite well known historically um, as an astronomer who did some of the most uh, accurate naked eye uh, measurements of star positions and these uh, measurements were later used by Kepler to, to derive his planetary motion laws. Um, also he's something of a legend because he's, uh, he's uh, was quite an eccentric character with this brass nose because he lost his nose during a duel with... Uh, a former uh, fellow uh, student at university. They're having a disagreement about an equation, apparently, and they had a duel, and he lost his nose and then had a brass nose. And so he's someone who, both his life and his work, you could probably go on for hours. About. Exactly, yeah. Um, and as you also mentioned, Ångström, um, who was uh, basically one of the first people to really do the science of spectroscopy, uh, using a spectrograph, uh, splitting light into component colours to study things like the sun and the aurora, and uh, the uh, physics department is in the Ångström Laboratories in Uppsala, named after him. So some of the other famous names uh, was Hertzsprung, uh, of the Hertzsprung-Russell diagram, and uh, he was a, a Danish astronomer who um, studied sort of stars in quite detail and with, with Russell uh, created this famous diagram, which is basically a, a map of all the stellar types in one figure, and that's frequently used by stellar astronomers, and it's, it figures quite prominently in first-year astronomy textbooks. That's one of the first things you learn. 
Uh, and then the other famous Scandinavian scientist astronomer was Celsius, Anders Celsius, who lived in, was born in Uppsala and lived in Uppsala and did lots of uh, st- astronomy studies, including um, trying to measure the distance between the Earth and the Sun and also studied aurora. Um, but he's well known for trying to create a temperature scale which could be used universally. And this is uh, the Celsius scale, which is named after him today. And the aurora of the Northern Lights, Sweden somewhere that's quite a good location to perhaps try and observe the Northern Lights throughout the year? Yeah, um, I mean Uppsala is six, uh, approximately 60 degrees north and actually that's still very south of Sweden. Um, but if you go to northern Sweden you get very high um, uh, positions so you can get see the aurora quite a lot. Um, one issue of course is whether the weather in Scandinavia can be very temperamental as it can be in the UK. So sometimes it's, uh, you don't always see because of clouds but it is a good location. Many thanks to James for talking to us this week for the podcast. We'll hopefully hear from James again in issues to come. You've been listening to Dark Sky Pod. For more information about events at the Scottish Dark Sky Observatory, you can check out our website at scottishdarksky.observatory.co.uk and keep a lookout for more issues of Dark Sky Pod. Mm-hmm.